Well, good morning. I hope you all are, are doing well today. Again, we're going to be in Nehemiah chapter 5. So go ahead and turn your Bibles to Nehemiah chapter 5. And we are going to finish chapter 5 this morning. But before we do so, let's catch up with some of the things we talked about last week. So the, the people who are rebuilding a, the wall around the city of Jerusalem are enduring uh, outside opposition that is coming against them to stop the building of the wall. However, last week what we saw is that not only are the people facing opposition from outside and they're having to hold their swords and their trowels while on the wall, but in chapter 5 we saw another oppressor revealed and that is those who were within the people that were oppressing the poorer people. So during the process of building, oppression of the poor was exposed. There was a, a great outcry that was made. They were watching their, their property and their families lose uh, everything that they had gained, where there would soon be generational poverty that would take place, even to the point where their children were taken into slavery and being sold as collateral in payment for the loans of interest payments. And when Nehemiah hears about this, he's, he's furious because of this abuse, because of how it is against God's law. This is against God's law. They are disobeying the word of God that they are not to abuse, specifically to charge interest to their brothers. And so Nehemiah brings these accusations before them, and he leads them to repent and to make restitution. And thankfully, and this is extremely rare, but thankfully they repented. They agreed. We, we see our sin before the Lord. They repented. They make restitution before the people. Now, these passages reminded us last week of how the gospel compels us, how we treat one another, how the gospel shows us the, the purpose of our money and how it's not to rule us, and yet we are to use it to the glory of God in the kingdom of God, how we should pursue repentance and restoration between one another when we sin against one another and lastly, how the gospel compels us to be obedient to the scriptures. And now as we read our text this morning, I want you to notice something about Nehemiah. I want you to notice how Nehemiah in this passage is going to describe to us his, excuse me, his leadership. How he has been leading the example by which he is setting up or has been uh, showing the people how he has been leading them. And I want you to ask yourself the question, as well as the three questions on the screen, is what kind of leader would you follow? And is that the kind of leader you would follow? Let's look to Nehemiah chapter 5 and begin reading in verse 14 together. Moreover, from that time that I was appointed to be their governor in the land of Judah from the 20th year to the 32nd year of Artaxerxes, the king, 12 years, neither I nor my brothers ate the food allowance of the governor. The former governors who were before me laid heavy burdens on the people, and he took from them their, from their daily rations 40 shekels of silver. Even their servants lorded it over the people, but I did not do so because of the fear of God. I also persevered in the, the work on this wall, and we acquired no land, and all my servants were gathered there for the work. Moreover, there were at my table 150 men, Jews and officials, besides those who came from the nations that were around us. 
Now what was prepared at my expense for each day was one ox and six choice sheep and birds. In every ten, in every ten days, all kinds of wine in abundance. Yet, for all of this, I did not, did not demand the food allowance of the governor because the service was too heavy on this people. Remember for my good, O oh my God, all that I have done for this people. And this is the word of the Lord. And may His Holy Spirit move in our hearts to hear and to see His holy, inerrant, and inspired word for His glory and our joy. Amen. One of the major themes that we have noted throughout the study of Nehemiah and also Ezra has been the virtues of these leaders, the virtues of leadership. And we've talked about some leaders throughout history and their virtues and qualities and their character and their accomplishments. And truthfully, a lot of leaders that, that we can look to, those who are uh, admirable, not perfect, but admirable, are worth taking note of to learn from and even to emulate. However, many of these leaders that we have looked to in history may not be distinctly Christian. They may not have a Christian profession or a particular faith in Jesus Christ. However, what we learn here is that you do not need to be a Christian necessarily to be a successful leader or an accomplished leader. We believe that the Bible teaches us about what is called common grace. The theological term that I I believe, if I remember correctly, was first coined by, to many, the evil theologian John Calvin. To us, he's not evil. And this common grace is not a particular grace that saves, nor is it the common grace that Arminians like to put up and say that it is the grace that of, of God that is given to all regenerate man, unregenerate man, excuse me, which makes them perfectly able to turn toward God in faith and repent to accept Christ unto salvation. That is not common grace. That is not grace at all. That's not biblical grace at all. However, theologian Lewis Spurkoff defines common grace in two ways. First, those general operations of the Holy Spirit, whereby He, without renewing the heart, exercises such a moral influence on man through his general or or special revelation that sin is restrained, order is maintained in social life, and civil righteousness is promoted. It's one of the very reasons why our founding fathers used the scriptures as a foundation of our government and the foundation of who we would be as a nation with its virtues and with its principles, knowing that the word of God, by common grace, would put certain restraints on society and on people. Now bring that to its logical end to where we are today. Second, Burkhoff says that those general common graces, those general blessings, such as the rain and sunshine, the food and drink, clothing and shelter, which God imparts to all men indiscriminately, where and in what measure it seems good to him. I like that. That's good. Burkhoff was a good theologian. Common grace, then, is the good gifts in life that God has given us for all mankind. Life, breath, heartbeat, food, drink, ability to work and to produce, rain, children, marriage, 
etc. Things, all these things that he has given us to enjoy. The restraining of the evil of man. To which all of God's common grace is to reveal his goodness and his glory. Evidence of the general love of God for his world, for his creation. What does then the unregenerate man do with that grace? Well, Romans 1 tells us in verse 18 and following, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and the unrighteousness of man, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them. Plain to them. Because God has shown it to them in creation, in his goodness, in the rain, in the sunshine, in life, in breath, in having children, in marriage, in relationships. All of these things have been given to us by God to show us God's goodness and his kindness and his love for his indivisible, excuse me, invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made, so they, the world, is without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor God, honor him as God, or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened, claiming to be wise, they became fools, and exchanging the glory of the immortal God for the images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Man generally will abuse God's common grace for themselves. And they will deny and dishonor God. And what do they end up doing? Worshipping idols. Worshipping idols. Now, this isn't to be a long theological discussion on common grace and sin and depravity. I want you to understand this morning and what we see here is that God, by God in His common grace, He has given us leaders, people that He raises up to maintain peace and civil righteousness for human flourishing. One of the points of the government, according to Romans 13, the government is good for man and should not be a curse. And so when we read or we see a good leader do something that is good, something that is, that is right, then we still, as Christians, and even though they may not be a Christian, we can give glory to God for his common grace. But Nehemiah is a leader not only in the sense of common grace, but is a leader who is motivated whose motive, whose morals, whose virtue, and whose guiding principles are the Scriptures. Nehemiah fears God. And therefore, in the fear of God, he cares more for his fellow man, his brothers and his sisters, than he does for his own good. I think what we see here in this passage this morning is a leader of great example. Not just by common grace, but by God's goodness for his people. Certainly throughout Nehemiah, the book of Nehemiah, we've seen these qualities. We've seen these traits of righteousness and the pursuit of holiness, the, the pursuit for the glory of God and the goodness of for his people and for the joy of his people. We've seen throughout Nehemiah so far and in Ezra. But here we have in these verses that we've just read 
Nehemiah's own words of his sacrifice, his generosity, and his faithfulness. As we look at our passage closer this morning, there's a few things we need to understand as we dive into it. First, we need to understand that this is Nehemiah describing how he has led the people. He's telling us how he has been leading him. And if we want to use the, uh, the, the leadership guru's language, it's his, his style of leadership. Second, we see how this passage is telling us that, that this is 12 years later. We see that this is 12 years later. The rebuilding of the walls were, were during the first year that, that Nehemiah was in Jerusalem, but he inserts into this into the passage this description of his leadership as governor to the Jews. And that brings us to a third thing, and that is we now know officially, for the first time now in Nehemiah, that Nehemiah is going to become, or is already, the governor of this region. Now, we're not too sure when this official declaration took place. It could have happened before he, he left, but most likely it took place after. After he built the walls, he went back to Susa, the capital of, of Persia, and he, and he spoke to Artaxerxes, telling him of all the things that they had already accomplished, how all the things that he asked to be able to do have been done. And then Artaxerxes sends him back as governor. And fourth, we see Nehemiah leading them for 12 years. And in that time as governor, this is really important. The style of leadership here is that it says that he personally refused to take the food allowances that a governor would have the right to take. And that sets up for us our first point of Nehemiah's leadership. And he shows us that a leader sacrifices. There are not many leaders out there today that sacrifice. It's easy to pick on our politicians, so let's do that. <laughs> it is too easy. Most of them are idiots. Lord, forgive me. Got to edit that one out too. They use their positions to benefit themselves, don't they? A, president can, a person can, can become a president with almost nothing and still complain about their own student loan debt. And when they are no longer president, all of a sudden they become billionaires overnight. Senators who become multi-millionaires and so do, somehow, their family members. Mysteriously, mysteriously, they get lucrative government contracts and, and private business deals that we could never fathom to get. Congressmen become millionaires themselves. The noble politician the servant of the people who is just a lonely, hub, humble servant of the people. Right? Isn't that the picture we get around election time? I'm, I'm one of you. In my $150,000 G-Wagon Mercedes. I'm one of you with armed security. I'm one of you. It's a crock. But every now and then, we do see leaders who do not serve for their own gain, but it seems to be for the benefit of others. And what Nehemiah is telling us here of himself in verse 14, that as a rightful governor of Persia, of this Persian province, Nehemiah was entitled to certain benefits and allowances to a particular lifestyle, right? He, he had a particular lifestyle that he was 
entitled as a governor, which includes a daily ration of food. And we're not talking about a daily ration of cheese and crackers or government meat in a can. No, these include a massive food allowances where they would eat the best of the best. It was to be a status symbol. The governor was to show this is how great Persia is. This is how great our Persian king is. And he had every right to collect the food in order to live according to the position that he had. In verse 15, he makes the comparison to to former governors. That before him, what did they do? They levied heavy burdens on them for those food allowances and for the sake of these particular governors so that they could live comfortably, that they could eat well. He says that even the servants of the governors would would use their own position to, to lord over the people. Nothing's new, right? To regulate over the people for their own benefit, for their own power, for their own position, and for their own food. Everyone in the government eats good. Everyone in the government eats better than you. Verse 15, but, Nehemiah says, but I did not do so because of the fear of God. Verse 16, Nehemiah speaks more of his self-sacrifice for the kingdom of God. In a sense, he says, I led you in, in all the building of this wall. I helped you with my own two hands building and protecting. I sent my own servants to, to build alongside me and with you. He reminds them that he didn't allow the confiscation of their land from those who were working on the wall like we learned earlier in chapter 5. Nehemiah is saying, I didn't treat you like kings and other governors have, but I have treated you like brothers because of the fear of God. That alone uniquely sets Nehemiah's sacrifice And what we'll see, his generosity and his faithfulness apart from other leaders. It was for the fear of God. Because Nehemiah knew that God is holy. And God is righteous. He trusted in God. Because God was his sovereign king. He loved God. He adored God. And that is what motivated him in the treatment as a leader of his people. You see, in Nehemiah are virtues that we all want for our leaders. Consistent acts of self-denial and sacrifice for the sake of others for the glory of God. You know, the Apostle Paul talks about this principle of leadership in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Because there were those who were coming into the church in Corinth and and, and saying these accusations and planting seeds of, of doubt that Paul wasn't a real apostle, but he was just one of those that come along to peddle the gospel for his own gain. Unfortunately, those same peddlers of the gospel still exist today. But that wasn't Paul. That wasn't Paul. Paul says that as an apostle, and this is in 1 Corinthians 9, that he as well had every right to make a living provided through the contributions of the gospel. Every right to those whom he ministered to, to ask for help and for provision. He was free to eat and drink what was given by others 
And he even allowed, even allowed to ask for it. He was even allowed to ask for it. He shows that he was entitled by human authority, but by the law of God, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain. 1 Corinthians 9, 9. But Paul does something else. In verse 15, he says, But I have made no use of any of these rights, nor am I writing these things to secure any such provision. For I would rather die than have anyone deprive me of my ground for boasting. Paul makes a self-sacrifice. Like we have seen with Nehemiah, a self-sacrifice, a sacrifice for something greater. For Paul, it was to freely preach the gospel in order that nothing could be accused of him. Because his boast and his desire would be only in the cross alone. Verse 17, he goes on to say, For if I do this of my own will, I have a reward. But if not of my will, I am still entrusted with stewardship. What then is my reward? That in my preaching I may present the gospel free of charge, so as not to make full use of my right in the gospel. His reward, like Nehemiah's reward, was the glory of God was the fear of God and the majesty of God to proclaim the gospel, the glories of Christ alone. You see, with Nehemiah and with Paul, these are leaders worth following. But Nehemiah is not only But Nehemiah is not only pointing us to himself, but in the word of God, typologically, he is pointing us to another. And not just Paul. You remember what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 9.15, putting aside his right and his provisions for the sake of preaching the gospel with his reward being the glories of Christ. Well, he makes the same type of argument later in Philippians chapter 2, which sets up for us Jesus' incarnation. He says this, who, Jesus Christ, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. What do we see here? Jesus had rights. Jesus had authority. Jesus had entitlements. Jesus had position. But he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped and denied himself. And he emptied himself. He condescended to become a man, to give himself as a ransom for many. Now, I know Nehemiah's sacrifice here of these 12 years of not taking the food allowances for people doesn't even compare to the sacrifice that the Son of God makes. But isn't that the point? We can thank God for Nehemiah. And we can look to Nehemiah and the example that he, that he sets before us as a great leader, just as we can look to, to elders and brothers and sisters who, who have denied themselves for, and sacrificed for the sake of the glory of God and to, to, to help one another, to help you. But their action is not the boast. They themselves is not the boast. Christ is our boast. Christ is our glory. So when we give, when we sacrifice, when we do without, and when we lead, we are leading like Christ. We are boasting in Christ to the glory of Christ. We sacrifice and deny ourselves for the sake of others to the glory of Christ. 
Nehemiah's sacrifice points us to a humble leader who would come a few centuries later, a humble king, born in the most humble of ways, the king of kings, our suffering servant, our suffering savior, Jesus Christ. So as we see in Nehemiah, this Christ-like type leader who denied himself for the good of others to the glory of God because he feared God and he loved God's people. But in verses 17 through 18, we hear Nehemiah not only turn from his own entitlement of food, but also Nehemiah was incredibly generous with his wealth. He was describing the, re- the reality that as a governor, you're, you're expected to, to maintain that particular lifestyle. He was expected to, to be the governor. And to be the governor, he was going to have to daily host people. He says in there that, that he would often daily, regularly feed and entertain 150 men, Jews and, and other officials who would come and and eat at his table and dine at his table. Can you imagine having that kind of Thanksgiving feast where you had to feed 150 people? Much less having that every single day? And not to mention, as he says, that when other diplomats and governors and emissaries from around the region would come and visit it, they were, he, he was and they were expected to eat at his table in a certain kind of quality. One ox, six sheep, and it says some birds, but I can imagine that was chicken. All the chickens, six sheep, one ox a day were prepared every day. So over 12 years, that's a lot. 4,380 oxen, 26,280 sheep, and who knows how many chickens. Food would get very expensive at that rate to continually feed that many people. Which is why, which is why it says that he had every right to make use of that food allowance. But again, that's not what he does. He says, now what was prepared at my expense? He goes on and says, yet for all this, I did not demand the food allowance of the governor but the service was too heavy on this people. What is the first saying? First telling us that Nehemiah personally paid for all of these meals. Number one, that tells us that Nehemiah was pretty wealthy. Nehemiah had some money, but he trusted God. He feared God. And so what did he do? He didn't lay the heavy burdens on the people, but rather he saw his wealth as a means not to burden others, but to be used instead. And again, like the first point, one of the greatest qualities that we want in a leader are those who give, who are willing to give out of their own personal wealth because they have it. So not to have to pass the expense on to others who do not have and do not have the power or the position. I believe that Nehemiah is explaining to us his generosity in providing out of his own pocket, pocket, not to look philanthropic, but to show again that he truly understands the fear of God. That he truly understands the fear of God. That generosity isn't one of those particular virtues that is distinctly Christian, right? 
A person can be generous and not be a Christian. I'm sure you've had non-Christians help you move or maybe bring you a meal when you were sick or have watched your house or a pet or something like that when you were out of town. Unbelievers certainly can be generous. That's common grace, right? And even in unregenerate man, we still can be civil and kind and decent and generous. But as a Christian who is called to be set apart, we are called to be generous, kind, thoughtful, and the acts of mercy and compassionate are motivated by our love for God. And more importantly, how God has loved us. How God has loved us. We are not motivated because of our fellow man. We are not motivated because we believe something of what comes around goes around. That is not our ideology or theology, but ours is the fear of God. In 2 Corinthians chapter 9, this is 2 Corinthians chapter 9, the Apostle Paul commends the Corinthian church for their generosity and encourages them to continue in it. He says in verse 7, Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. This is how we are to give generously, is cheerfully. Why? Because we fear God, because we know him. We love him. He loves us. We know his grace. He goes on to say in verse 10, He, this is God, He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food supply, will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. I mean, God is the blessing of all of these good things that he has given us. Verse 11, You will be enriched in every way. To be generous in every way, which through us will produce what? Thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing many thanksgivings to God. The Lord uses us. The Lord uses what he has given us for us to be a blessing to others, not just to meet their particular physical need and move on, but it produces thanksgiving to God because it's not about the things that we have given to them or the money that we have given to them, but it produces a thanksgiving to the glory of God because he is the giver of all good things. And it blesses the giver as much as it blesses the receiver. Nehemiah was motivated by the fear of God, the glory of God. And he was motivated by a compassion for his people. We see in the text there that it says he didn't lay these burdens upon them because it was too heavy for them. I would not give a 40 or 50 pound sack of chicken feed to Katerina to carry to the backyard. At least I shouldn't. It would crush her. She would be disappointed in how she couldn't be obedient to her dad. It's too heavy. So I have compassion. Or if I see one of my kids struggling, do something. I have compassion as a father who is stronger, who can pick up and carry the weight for them. And as Nehemiah looks at his people, he says, they can't do this, but I can. As a wealthy man, he saw it as his duty and his delight with the power and with the position to share from his bounty in order to lift that burden from them. He saw his people, he saw their condition, and he knew, he knew this. This is so important. He knew that he was their brother's keeper. It was his duty. Nehemiah shows, him to, shows himself to be not only a good leader, but a good shepherd of his people. 
He's a leader that led them out of derision to build the walls, protection from the enemy, and in righteousness. But he pastored them because he loved them and he had compassion on them. I hope you know where I'm going with this. This should very much point us to our Savior, Jesus Christ, who not only leads us, but he is our good shepherd, who is given to us out of the abundance of his grace and his mercy. Ephesians says that he has lavished on us. Mercy and grace, a Savior, a shepherd who is compassionate. Jesus, as he was coming into the city of Jerusalem, the same city that Nehemiah is governing over centuries before, Jesus is coming up to this city where he knows he is about to be crucified. And he looks over the hill and he weeps for this city because he has compassion on them, wishing that he could draw them to himself and have compassion on them like a shepherd would for a sheep, a people, without a shepherd. Our example of generosity is our good shepherd, Jesus Christ. We pastor and we do good to one another because we have been shepherded and pastored by our good Savior, Jesus Christ. We give because we trust the Lord, because we fear the Lord, and we love the Lord. But we also give generously because we have compassion for people and on people. Lastly, Nehemiah's concern is faithfulness. Nehemiah's concern overall is faithfulness. Look at verse 19. Verse 19 is, is another prayer of Nehemiah. Nehemiah is turning out to be not just quite the leader, but also a man of prayer. But is this just another controversial prayer like the last one? Should he be praying like this? Remember for my good, oh my God that I have done for this people? Has Nehemiah this whole time been gloating? Is he just saying all of this so that he would re receive some reward from God? Some particular favor from God? Is Nehemiah justifying his works before God? Is Nehemiah revealing his own selfishness before God and before us? And if that's true, then maybe Nehemiah isn't the leader of great example. We rarely would pray like this, like Nehemiah would pray here. It's uncomfortable to us. This is kind of an uncomfortable prayer for us. Because we don't want to sound as if we misunderstood the gospel of grace. That we know, because we know firmly that, that we are not saved or justified by our works, but only through the obedience and sacrifice of Jesus Christ. The grace of God, then, is the root of our salvation. We are saved by grace alone through faith alone. We, we know this. So grace is the root of our salvation. We, we hold to that. But yet we also must not forget the fruit of salvation. We are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, apart from our works. But that faith that is given to us, that faith that, that regenerates, that gives us salvation, through faith alone are we saved, that faith, and in that faith, we produce good works. The gospel produces good fruit. In Galatians chapter 5, verse 22, the gospel produces good fruit. 
Salvation and faith in Christ produces good fruit. Fruit that can be seen. Fruit that can be tasted. Fruit that can be tested. Fruit that can be counted. Such prayers then of, as Nehemiah is praying, are asking God not for grace according to his good works, but only to consider his works according to his faith. There's a big difference there. Would a loving father delight and enjoy the good things that their children do? Would a, would a good father, again, Seeing his children be obedient. Seeing his children honor him and their mother. Would they not delight in that? Patrick, you're not a father yet. But the answer to that is yes. When champ is obedient to you, you like it. So in the same way, yes, we... We, we see, we're like, oh man, things are connecting, right? The dots are connecting. Yes, little victories. Because there'll be four, 50 more failures because we know our kids, they, and then we fail, they have failed, we get that. But when we see that obedience, we delight in it. We love it. Is God as well not delighted to see our faith worked out in obedience to his son? Amen. He delights in it. He loves it. It gives him glory. It gives him glory. Our Heavenly Father, brothers and sisters, smiles as we would when he sees us imitating his son. Nehemiah's prayer of faith is not for merit, but it is a prayer of sincerity. A bold prayer, yes, a very bold prayer, saying to the Lord, I have done what you have told me to do. I have not done any of this for my own gain of my own. I have shown my faithfulness for the care of your people, for your glory, and for your kingdom. One would only pray this way because they have a redeemed heart and a desire only to live for the glory of God. In the Gospel of John, chapter 19, when Jesus was hanging on the cross, and just as he was about to die, he prayed. He prayed, it is finished. A massive theological statement, right? Of the sufficiency of the atonement is completed. The wrath of God is satisfied. But it is also a prayer to his Father and to his Lord. To the Lord, excuse me. I have been faithful to you. Luke records the words of Jesus at about the same time when Jesus says, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. These prayers made on the cross are the same prayers of remember for my good. Oh my God, that I have done for these people. Nehemiah's concern was for faithfulness to God, faithfulness to the Lord. Jesus' motive was for the glory of God and to be faithful and obedient to the end, even unto death. And brothers and sisters, if you are in Christ this morning, and if you have been saved by grace alone, through faith alone, then our concern 
should be faithfulness as well. Faithfulness that is obedience to the word of God. Could you pray so boldly? That's Nehemiah. The point of today's message, today's sermon is not for us to disparage Nehemiah and only to look past him to Christ. But it's also not to glorify Nehemiah as well. I I don't think he's telling us all these things about himself so that we will admire him in some way uh, that that, that is just egotistical. I don't think he's telling us all these things so that we'll only look to Nehemiah himself. But I think in salvation history, God is showing us and pointing us as well to someone greater someone better. We can look at the life of Nehemiah as we do with the Apostle Paul and others, and we can thank God for them, for their example to us, and we can look to them for them as our example to us. But more importantly, we must look to our Savior, Jesus Christ, and to truly remember the sacrifice of our suffering Savior who gave himself as a ransom for many. To look to Christ, to remember his generous compassion and love and grace as our good shepherd, who has led us not, who has led us, excuse me, out of darkness and into marvelous light. And to look upon Christ, who was perfectly obedient even unto death, and he was faithful in our place. And now in that faith, we can be obedient. Brothers and sisters, Nehemiah was a great leader. A great leader to look to. A great leader to example and to exemplify. But brothers and sisters, Christ is far better. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this morning, and we thank you for your word. And we trust that it will have its full effect for us this morning in drawing us to Christ, drawing us in repentance and love as we follow our our good shepherd, the one who has gone before us, who has given us faith so that we would be faithful and that our concern would be faithfulness. And that, Lord, you would remember our faithfulness. Lord, we love you. We thank you for Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.